Hey guys, welcome to this week's episode of Untucked. Today we're going to talk about the 1% advisory fee um, and really just different types of compensation structures that different firms use. Um, We are going to discuss Amazon um, creating brick and mortar stores. Um, And then finally, we are going to wrap up with an article from Vanity Fair um, about the ultra wealthy Uh, people in the Hamptons from the view of a very wealthy person living in the Hamptons. Um, We have top five fictional deaths and uh, that'll be it. Enjoy. The opinions expressed on this podcast are our own and do not reflect the opinions or views of FC Advisory, the Financial Coach Group, or the New Wealth Project. Nothing discussed on this podcast should be interpreted as investment advice. Welcome to episode 55 of Untucked. This is Megan. And Mike. This is Jeff. Did you guys know that up until 1929, they didn't have any numbers on any baseball team's jerseys? Now, that's not my fun fact. It was in 1929 that the Yankees and the Indians debuted putting numbers on the back of jerseys. So why was Babe Ruth's number number three? Because that's where he hit in the lineup. Like that's oh. why they're num- like Lou Gehrig was the cleanup hitter, and he was number four. It's so, interesting. But I mean, I feel like I've seen pictures of Babe Ruth with number three. Is that is that not accurate? I think I just told you Babe Ruth was number three because he's hit number three in the lineup. Okay, that's my fun fact. Why wasn't he batting cleanup? Guy's the greatest home run hitter of whatever. I don't understand beyond one and four how the lineup works. Like wh- where you you put people. Like one's just a guy who gets on base, right? Yep. And four is a guy who can hit the shit out of the ball. Two What's is the two, two, two is three. Two is a guy you want to move the runner along. So it makes contact. Yep. Three is a like probably maybe your best. Batting average and also has some power. Okay. RBI guy. Okay. Five's a power hitter, generally. Yep. Really? And then after that, it's just ranked by whoever's left best, best to worst. Best to worst. Yeah. So Gehrig, Lou Gehrig was the first number to be retired. Hmm. That oh. was in 1939. And then from there, and, and they did it because of obviously like what happened with him. Sure. Uh, and then that's All what right. kind of inspired the, the retiring of baseball numbers. So was baseball the first sport to have numbers on jerseys? Meg, you, you're asking me. <laughs> you got the scope of this fun fact. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I just don't know, Meg. Sorry. <laughs> All right. Well, speaking of baseball. Oh, boy. <laughs> Dude, I feel like every time I say something about the, the Phillies, like when I talk shit on them, they go on a freaking eight and two run. And then when I say like, we have the potential um, to win the division. Win the, a division. We have uh, a potential MVP. MVP, potential Cy Young. Like they, they literally, they're three and seven in the last ten games. Oof. You guys are aware that Aaron Nola had a perfect game, right? No. This year, 
he didn't was have about one. to. Yeah. He pitched eight, eight and two thirds innings, and then I think Brad Miller had an error which gave up Ooh. the perfect game. They end up losing the game. Oh my god! Yeah, it was awful. Like wow. an unraveling, it went fast. unraveling. They have absolutely sucked since the last time we did a podcast. They were two games ahead of the Braves, and they're now five games back. In a matter of like three weeks, dude, it's un it's unheard of. Like it's an it's been like a seven game swing in, in the, the most ridiculous short amount of time, and they played shitty teams. Like they were supposed to like make up some ground, and they haven't. And last night was they're becoming to me like unwatchable. <laughs> like it's unwatchable. Well, you're coming around, Jeff. Just took some time. I have no, just com- wait one more week. I haven't completely pod. checked out yet. Because they do have a chance to wild card. <laughs> but, you know, Bryce Harper hits a, home, a two-run shot last night to tie it up in like the, the I want to say like the sixth inning or so, maybe the seventh. And then I, I flip back and they're down 7-4 in the top of the ninth. Like, and I listen to the end of it on the radio and they just, it's awful. It's like the standard thing. Like when, when the pitchers are pitching well, the hitters don't hit. When the hitters are hitting, the pitchers suck. But I'll say it, it, it looks like, it, it's looking like they're not going to make the playoffs now. <laughs> so they're trending down. They're trending down, yeah. Okay, so Phil's, we got anything else? Um, there's a lot of chatter around the birds. Um, I'm not sure if you're following, but they're, they they pulled Jalen Hurts from the last preseason game, like before the like five minutes before the game starts. He's got tummy issues. Um, we need to take him to the hospital, mm. and didn't play. And none of the so because of that, none of the none of the starting offense played in the last preseason game. Okay, offensive line, running backs, like everyone was shut down. Uh, maybe maybe Devontae Smith played, but. I think it was like the, I think it was the offensive line and Hertz didn't play. And fans are kind of getting a little bitter about this because it's like you're a season ticket holder. They make you play, they make you buy these preseason games, and you so you go to the game thinking Jalen Hurts is going to play, and you see Joe Flacco, and not the and not the offensive line. Like they got shit on by the Patriots, thirty-five nothing. Like it was awful. So that that just breeds conversation around. You have a team that has a whole new offensive scheme, a whole new defensive scheme, a new quarterback, like a lot of new parts, and you're not even putting them in like a game situation before the season starts. They're gonna get crushed, man. I say they have like five wins maybe as a team. Oof. <clears throat> I don't know. Preseason football is. Maybe more unwatchable to me than uh, than like a Phillies game. <laughs> now, if you're a diehard like Eagles guy, I guess, or per- person, and you're really into, I want to see this draft pick play. I want to see. I get that because I would do the same thing with the Flyers. Right. But I could not care less about watching one snap of a, of a preseason game for any team. Neither do I. But I would like. I would appreciate it if my if my starters got a little work in in like a in in a real game situation before they kick off for game one of the season Mm -hmm. 
And this whole notion about, well, we don't want to get them hurt. Like, it's complete bullcrap. They play football for a living. Yeah. Holding them out of, like, the first two series or quarter of a preseason game is, they might get hurt. But guess what? They may get hurt week one. Weren't they the most hurt team in football last year? They have the the worst health staff on the planet. Their conditioning staff must be the worst because all their players constantly get hurt. I think that's a Philadelphia thing. Yeah, Novacare sucks. <laughs> <laughs> I did watch a couple of um, the Dallas Cowboys Hard Knocks episodes. Haven't gotten into it. Um, I've enjoyed kind of some of the other ones. Uh-huh. This one seems different to me. It's all like touchy-feely, happy, ha-ha-ha. Yeah. If there's not a lot of like, you know, conflict or people getting like yelled at, it's very much like a Dak love fest. Is, and a Zeke love fest. It's, it's, it's kind of... I caught 15 minutes of it the, literally the other night. And um, it's the first I saw of it. And I walked away from it going, God, they just can't miss. <laughs> and, I, and, and I don't want to watch it because I'm starting to like, like, the, like Cowboys. the Cowboys. I, and I wasn't liking the Cowboys, but I love it. Like, I love hard knocks. I love... I saw Je- uh, LeBron James tweet something like, like, how come the NBA isn't doing this? Because he's like... I love it, and it's awesome. It does. It does reinforce what an a-hole Jerry Jones is, though. He's on the phone with the with the coaching staff like every day, like literally interfering with whatever they're doing. And you can tell the coaches are so they're just trying to appease him. It's it's crazy to watch this guy. I mean, I get it. He owns the team. He can do whatever he wants. But dude, let the let the coaches coach, man. Yeah, he looks like a corpse he looks that's like just walking around. Yeah. 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 Anyway. I think bottom line, Hard Knocks is great. It doesn't matter what team it is. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I kind of enjoy it. It's definitely watchable. Yeah. Like even though it's the Cowboys and it's too touchy feely, you're still kind of like, you'll watch next episode. Yeah, and I was watching, thinking like, they're gonna run over the Eagles <laughs> by the end of the first. I think quarter. that's there's like a Hard Knocks thing about that though. You watch any it's Hard Knocks, jinx. you're like, that's the. That's the Super Bowl contender yeah. that I'm watching here. And then they're every over season. the season. Every season. The Cleveland Browns. I'm like, oh, my God. I drafted every player on that team offensively for my fantasy football draft that year. That's it for Philly. Mm-hmm. Can't wait till we have to start talking about the birds every week. I can't wait, too. I love it. Yeah, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm not looking forward to is talking about Ben and, and Joel. Okay. I'm just telling you, I'm not looking forward to I'm all that drama. I'm not ready for that, so we're not going to do see it. See Ben draining threes in that one. If I see one more Ben Simmons in the gym Instagram video, I am going to go to California and punch his videographer. He, he hit like five threes in He's a row. He's 100% from the field in Instagram videos and 0% from the field in real life. <laughs> yep. All right. Coach's Corner. Say goodbye to the 1% investment advisor fee. (laughs) This is from the Wall Street Journal, written by Neil Templin. Neil's article calls into question the asset-based fee model many financial services firms use to charge their clients. He suggests three alternative options, flat fees, monthly or hourly fees, or discounted fees on assets that would essentially lower the total fees paid to a financial planner. Thoughts? So I, I just... This is a very difficult subject for me to tackle because it's you can go all over the place with this. Um, what is an appropriate amount to charge your clients? 
And I would ask that for any industry, right? Like, how do mechanics set their labor costs based upon the market, right? Based upon what other mechanics charge for hourly labor, right? Sure. So I guess that's how the financial planning industry, financial planning is different. I should take that back. The investment advisory industry started, I think Merrill Lynch started with 1% to manage money. Um, and that has morphed into now like the financial planning world where we charge an asset-based fee, whether that be 0.5% or 1.25% or somewhere in between. And I read, I think in that article or it might have been another article where a woman had said, you know, every time I ask a, a fee-based advisor, like, why do you charge that? They don't know how to answer it. They just say, well, because that's what people are willing to pay. And I, I don't feel that way at all. I feel like we give financial planning advice for a fee. What is an appropriate amount of that fee? I mean, if, if I saved you from making a financial mistake that would have cost you locking in permanent 20% losses, I mean, I could have charged you 5%. So where is the appropriate, because it's certainly not $250 an hour for the work that we do. At least I don't feel that. I feel like it's way more valuable, the advice that we provide and the, and the mistakes we help people avoid and the, and the, the goals and accomplishments that we help them achieve and the feeling that we give them when they, when they gift money to a kid and, and we can tell them and make them leave our office with confidence that they feel like they're never going to run out of money. So much value there. It's not worth 200 bucks an hour. Yeah, so Jeff, you said it started out with a 1% at Merrill, and, and that was that's pretty much true. But that was really the, just asset management. You oversee the investments. And over time, the industry, or at least the ones who are, I think, ahead of the curve, have had to do way more for that 1% than just manage assets. And that's fair because 1% to just manage assets is egregious for, for most cases. But I think it's it, the, the people who argue for hourly or flat or, or some other model that that implies that you're doing the same amount of work for, for all of your clients. And it also implies that you're delivering the same value to all of your clients, regardless of how much money they have. To me, it's a really simple argument, which is that kind of what you just said, Jeff, if the advice that we provide results in somebody saving or avoiding X percent of damage, I'll say, to their wealth, it's three times as valuable to someone with $3 million as $1 million. It's three times as valuable. It's not the same value. Like if you're talking about absolute dollars. So to me, the hourly model doesn't really apply in this case. Um, you know, you don't hire a New York law firm at 1500 bucks an hour um, for any other reason than you have a much greater chance of winning the case because they're better. Right. They're better at their job than the 300 an hour uh, a shop. So like this article just kind of annoys me because it, it just implies that it's a really black and white industry here where um, it's you do X amount of hours of, of work per year for this client relationship. So why should you charge certain clients way more than others? And that's just not how it works. And that's why the flat fee doesn't work either, right? Mm -hmm. Because like the, the 
complexity of one person's plan can vary dramatically from the complexity of someone else's. So saying that a flat fee would apply in both, like the same flat fee would apply in both situations doesn't make sense either. There's so much more nuance to what we do. And I think what you just described, Jeff, around you know, the, the feeling of being able to gift to kids, the feeling of not, um, you know, knowing they're not going to run out of money. Like, the client who sent you this article, like, would pay more than he's paying for that. So, like, the, the people who we have, at least, who, who believe in the value we provide have no qualms about what they pay us. Yeah. Now, I think the fact that we are very transparent about what we charge and it's on the screen every time we talk and like it's very, very clear and understandable what people pay us helps. But like to me, it's 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 very easily understood that the value of all of those intangible things we, we have to quantify and no one has problem. At least our clients don't have a problem with the way that we've quantified it. Yeah, I think there are a lot of intangibles that go into our job and what we do. And I'm not sure if there's many other professions that that have that, right? You go see your doctor because I have uh, uh, pneumonia. Okay, well, here, I'm going to prescribe this. And you take that and you feel better. Um, I just oversimplified the entire healthcare profession, so I apologize. but there's a lot of intangibles that we do. There's a lot of weight off of our client's shoulder that they don't have to worry about, number one, the investments. They don't have to worry about, uh, do I need to calculate? Melissa and I were talking about this the other day. Like I was talking to her about how we work with you. And I'm like, I don't want to think about anything in our financial plan. I don't want to think about how much I need to put in our 529 plans. I want Megan to tell me. I don't want to, I, I didn't even know how my money was invested in my IRA. I'm like, I think it's like still in a couple funds that I had. You're like, no, I think it's in our model. Oh my God, yeah, it is in our model. Like, I'm not paying attention to it. I didn't want to put any thought into how much life insurance I should have, how much she should have, what company we should go to to get it. I don't want to do it. And there's value associated with that. And to not have to put any thought into it and just take the advice from the person that I trust and I trust isn't going to steal my money or screw me over or make a recommendation that's not in my best interest, I would pay more. And that's like the, the client who sent this article to us, his email to me said, I hope this doesn't like ruffle any feathers with any of your, of, of your other clients. And I know that he doesn't feel the way that this article was written. No, not at all. Yeah, no, I think in our industry, maybe more so than a lot of others, you get what you pay for. Um, not, and I don't mean that in a blanket way, but if you're, all, if you're just shopping around for the cheapest, mm-hmm advisory solution you're gonna get what you pay for because someone will say "Oh, I'll do it for 250 bucks an hour or I'll do it for three thousand dollars a year flat fit you're gonna get what you pay for um, to the extent you need anything um, in the realm of like ongoing financial planning and advice now on the other side of that they use the the example of uh, you know in this article so-and-so used to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars annually to an advisor who charged him a fee on on his assets and he says he has an eight-figure portfolio so let's just say it's 30 million bucks if he's paying hundreds of thousands of dollars on that well that's egregious that's just ridiculous it it should there's a point where it's got to level off and it can't be you know some relatively high fee on that level of assets that's not right either but um but but on the other side of the scale you 
I, th- I think the firms that are out there trying to compete purely on price, like, hey, we're, we're a flat fee. We don't care if you have 10 million or 1 million or 500,000. I, I don't think that's, that's right either because, Meg, to your point, you have such a wide variety of client needs to deal with that it just can't possibly be fair. And it discounts our value. Yeah. Like, at the end of the day, we obviously feel... <laughs> And a lot of people, not just our clients, but a lot of people feel like there's value in what we do. So by saying that the $250,000 client and the $2.5 million client like have the same complex or not situation and then therefore warrant the same cost is just insane. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, and, and Jeff, to your point, I don't think any of us have any issue or problem explaining or justifying our fee the no. level what you get for it so as this article implies like oh, most of the advisors just say well that's what everybody else is charging and that's that's not that's not the case with us no i can very very simply explain to someone the going rate for investment management is about 35 basis points mm-hmm. at the cheapest place that you can get it now what's the cost for financial planning you want advice on buying and leasing and Roth conversions and gifting my kids and how do I take income from this and how much should I save for my retirement and what should I like? There's a cost to that. Is it less than investment management? Hell no. Investment management's easy, and it's 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 been digitized at this point, so that's going to cost more. So if it's 55, 65 basis points, well now you're over a point. So yeah, I think I think the value, the price is justifiable, no doubt. Um, I don't, I don't know, Mike. I feel like you kind of contradicted yourself, and we don't have to get too far in the weeds. But like, the guy that has thirty, or, or the guy, the family that that has thirty million dollars, isn't it the same argument? Like, there's much more consequence to the decisions that they make. So, is it too much for them to be paying hundreds of thousands of dollars? I don't know. I mean, why does it level off at some point? I, I know what you're saying, and I guess what, what I'm, I'm, I'm kind of splitting the difference, right? There's greater consequences to making mistakes or not getting the right advice, but I think there's a point in which it's, you know, you're, you're now talking about a, a fairly high, highly compensated full-time person just for that account. Is that fair? I mean, you're not yeah. working th- th- 250 uh, business days a year on that account yeah. in that case. That, yeah. That's all I'm kind of saying. It, it gets to be a little ridiculous at some point. Yeah. Well, you were just, you were talking about how easily you can explain to someone like, okay, you would pay this for investment management and then all of the other things that go into financial planning. I also think, I know for us, like if anyone ever wanted an itemization of like everything that we've done for you over the course of a year, right? Or if somebody came in the door and said, what can I expect for my 1%? I mean, firms that aren't clearly articulating that, like that's on them, right? Not being able to share with a client, with a prospective client, exactly what that pays for is where all of this bullshit comes from. It just feeds back into that like very opaque world of this industry and like who does what for what, who's paying me, Am I paying, am, am I being, are they being compensated by me? Or are they being compensated by, a, you know, an insurance company? Like, unfortunately, it, it is 
this industry, I think a lot of just the misunderstanding, this is one more part of it. Like, oh, I have to pay him 1%, and I don't even know what I'm getting for that. If you don't know what you're getting for that, then your advisor's not go, doing a good job articulating yeah. what you're getting for that. Yeah, and I think that too many of them are the common, I'll call them wirehouse kind of people, not to pick on them, but this is your typical Merrill Lynch, Morgan Stanley, yeah. UBS, who, who is outsourcing the investments to somebody else, not doing anything at all there. They're playing golf with a client once or twice a year um, and not doing anything else financially planning related um, and charging the client one or two, even 2% for that. That's, that's insane and that's ridiculous and unfortunately still very common. Um, and, and, and that, that should be attacked and that should, that has to go. But for those who are doing the right, who are delivering the right kinds of services, articulating the value of that, none of those firms should have any problem with, with an asset based fee. I don't understand how you can charge an hourly rate for what we do. You, I think in order to do a good job in this industry, you need to be in, in, immersed in your client's situation. You need to know everything about them. And how do you do that with, hey, here's my stuff, take a look at it, and then let's get back together for my, I, I wanna take like a, an, an annual checkup with you and, and for a couple of hours, you tell me like for 500 bucks, yeah, 250 an hour, I want you to tell me what we need to do differently. Like that's impossible. We have clients that have been clients for 10, 15, 20 years, and they'll still say something like, oh yeah, we have this. I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot about that. Like there's still intricacies about their 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 life that I I don't always remember everything. So you can't just like drop stuff off and get an evaluation for an hour or two. It just doesn't work that way. And some years, clients put a lot of pressure on us and we're underpaid and, and, and we make decisions for them and we help guide them, that uh, help them avoid major disaster and we're completely underpaid, big time. And there's other years where they don't need a lot from us and we're overpaid. And in my opinion, it, 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 it washes out, absolutely. So I struggle with like, here's the flat fee, here's the, here's the hourly fee. And I, I, I love throwing it at other people. Like, okay, well, Mr. Client or prospect, you tell me what you think's fair. A thousand bucks a year for me to do all your freaking financial planning for you? <laughs> and investment, are you crazy? Right. Like the stuff that we do for new wealth clients for 1200 bucks a year, are you freaking kidding me? Well, it's a 2,500 min now. That's right. <laughs> I was referring to the planning. The planning. Yeah, it's uh, I think we're undervalued. I think like you're saying, Mike, some people are charging way too much for the limited amount of service that they're doing. And I, and I, I don't understand enough about the hourly model. I just can't wrap my brain around how that is going to be effective and, and, and really be the best service that you're getting. I think that falls into the category you were saying, which was you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, the, I think you can get basically probably the same advice from you know google searching your your topics than paying 250 an hour to somebody to help yeah. you in this particular situation people liked malls another lengthy read from the atlantic and amanda mull 
Amazon is planning to take several brick and mortar retail concept stores that will focus on stuff like clothes, housewares, and electronics in what appears to be a um, a move counterintuitive to everything Amazon has done in the past. However, Amanda's article explains the inefficiencies in Amazon's current business model, quick delivery of virtually any product you could want, and how a physical location could improve those inefficiencies and save the company lots of money. Malls are back. <laughs> I grew up in malls, man. You think the kids are going to start hanging at the Amazon concept stores? God, I hope not. Making out on the couches. <laughs> <laughs> I read this article and she made an unbelievable case because I, I, my initial reaction was, I can't believe Amazon is going to open stores. Like the reason that they are what they are is because I don't have to go to a store. Can I stop you for one second? Yeah. We pretty much predicted that this morning. We were like, we know exactly what Jeff is going to say. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. But the more I read it, I'm like, my God, how does Amazon even turn a profit? Because <laughs> yeah. I've, I've, been, I've been on the receiving end of everything that she outlined. Like, I've, I've ordered products from Amazon. They, they, they weren't good or I didn't want them. And they were, they were like, just keep it. Right, and the return. And we're refunding your money. I think the, the return process is 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 really easy for the for the consumer, right? I mean, maybe you have to go to a UPS store, drop a box off, or something. But it's kind of no must, no fuss, <laughs> and it gives people more incentive to kind of over order order stuff that they may not or or likely to have to return. Mm-hmm. Very expensive for everyone involved. On the, you don't on even the, have to box it anymore. Yeah, you yeah. just bring the product. Back to UPS. So probably... You can take them to Kohl's now, too. Yeah, and so probably the whole pandemic and the surge in online everything of, of has made it really clear to Amazon that they got to get out of the business of quick and easy returns and mm-hmm. probably eventually force people to physically return it to their location mm-hmm. um, and prob- and maybe even penalize people for not doing that. That could be where they, where they evolve to. Um, and having physical stores makes a lot of sense. Plus, I'm sure they're getting great deals on the on the property that are that's vacant sure. right now. Right now, yeah. So all that I think makes sense. And not not only that, the third thing that, that's a good point is that you know Walmart, Best Buy, all these other retailers that compete with them have done pretty well in in online in their own online sales mm-hmm. niche. Right? They they're using the same similar infrastructure that Amazon. So. It kind of makes sense if you think about it from the business perspective that they would pivot towards having physical locations. Plus, they make the point that a lot of this stuff people like to go out and shop still. Try. It's not just that it, the switch is flipped and everybody's sitting there in their pajamas drunk ordering off of Amazon. But, but yeah, back to your point, Meg. We, we thought, Jeff, you were going to like, that is the stupidest <laughs> thing I ever heard of. What are they doing? I think especially, too, like the the – three areas that she mentioned clothes housewares and electronics maybe clothes specifically and like furniture i'll say like those definitely aren't what amazon makes a ton of money off of and if you now have a place where people can go try on look and like touch those items like yeah because then you buy it once from the store and then you know okay i don't maybe have to go back to the store, but I'm going to make that next purchase online 
way more confidently, way less likely to return it because I'm familiar with the brand or I've seen the color. Like, to me, I've ordered Amazon clothes and been like, what is this? Like, it's horrible. But, like, if I go and touch it, I won't buy it. Like, right. <laughs> I haven't, I'm not a good example. I haven't used Amazon for, like, a, like a, a commodity that something was, you you something you weren't sure you wanted maybe right like, yeah but just they're not big purchases they're they're little stuff right I need light bulbs I need to, and if it doesn't come back if it comes back into my house and it's not exactly what I wanted I just live with it mm-hmm. and it's not that big of a deal and I haven't purchased clothes from Amazon mm-hmm. and so I'm I'm not a great example there because I just I can't imagine like you're saying you bought clothes like. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming women's clothes aren't, they're not cheap, right? Like expensive wise? Yeah. Made yeah. Wise? No, no. Expensive wise. Um, They're not. No, no, I would say Amazon is a, is a less expensive okay. route to go, which I mean, I got what I paid for. Um, yeah. I guess I, I, I haven't, if I were, if I were to chalk up, like what has my experience been with Amazon? Mm-hmm. Being able to order something and it, and it shows up in two days mm-hmm. and I don't have to go to the store. That is, but from a product standpoint, I, I can't say I've been really thrilled with what I've ordered. It hasn't panned out to be exactly like what I wanted, but mm-hmm. I just, you know, live with it. Like I needed tie downs for something and it's like, okay, I just ordered it from Amazon and it ended up not being exactly what I wanted, but it wasn't such a big purchase that I was that concerned really enough to like return it or, or be upset about it. Yeah. I mean, like people can buy couches and beds and like, People are registered for their weddings on Amazon. You know, it's kitchenware, it's pots and pans, it's glasses. Like, these are things you're going to touch, feel, and use every day. So I think that's really where this element of it helps a ton. Because people either, A, are going to make that purchase and, I mean, I don't even know how you would return a couch. But, like, they're going to make those purchases more confidently. And then... They're going to make them again, knowing again, like, this is the brand I had. I don't have to necessarily go to the store, but I can now get it delivered. Like, I, I just, I feel like for those types of things, yeah, it's a no-brainer to have a physical location. I don't think I would buy anything like that any other way than seeing it first. And I think that's, like, that's going to change. I think people are are going to continue to purchase those types of things. I bought my bed. I bought my couch. Sight unseen. <clears throat> Mike, you bought a car sight unseen, right? When? You mean <laughs> the one like you're what? driving now, not today, but the other one. I mean, I when saw it. On, saw I it, saw it delivered it to your house. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I didn't physically look at it right. or drive it. Yeah, yeah, I've done that a couple of times. I think I ordered uh, furniture for a deck online. It's the fr- and, you know, and I was ner- like, mm-hmm. it was anxiety ridden mm-hmm. right you're gonna spend a couple thousand bucks for furniture and what if you don't like it you gotta pay for shipping to have it sent back like it's expensive Dude, my couch is in pieces in my apartment right now <laughs> yeah. and i might hate it <laughs> yeah i think i think clothes i think there's certain items that still there's a ton of people that love to physically shop for yeah clothes bigger ticket you know furnishing stuff like that for sure um so yeah i think it makes some sense yeah, if they can, which I'm sure they are going to do it right, which is figure out what those what those products are. Yeah, just have, you know, the the top sellers in those places. 
they're probably going to kill it. Yep. Yeah. All right. I guess we kind of agreed on that. Wow. First time for everything. Rich people of the Hamptons. I thoroughly enjoyed this article. Rich people of the Hamptons have a new headache. Even richer people. From Vanity Fair, Stephanie Krikorian uh, wrote this article. Um, a self-proclaimed one percenter describes how much money there is now in the Hamptons as nauseating and saying the conspicuous consumption is gross. Very interesting perspective from a rich person about richer people. This was laughable to me. Like... Extremely laughable. The the disdain with which this woman, Heidi, spoke of richer people and the impact they're ha- having on, like, what I would argue is one of the most affluent places in the country is hysterical. It reminded me of White Lotus, the show I just wrapped up, <laughs> where it's like rich people in paradise complaining about paradise. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But it also it also is a great illustration of what is well known, and that is that people don't care so much how much, I'll, I'll just use the term, like absolute wealth they have. They only care about relative wealth, how they stack up against their neighbor, their community whatever yeah. way more important to most people absolutely most people so this is all this is that this is a bunch of very well-off people that are mad because their their town's been infiltrated by really really wealthy people and they can't deal with it <laughs> well was there a part of the article that was talking about how the people that have been there for a while and i guess some of them called themselves locals <laughs> um are now paying more for stuff because the ultra wealthy rolled in and the town is able to justify charging more for things because there's wealthier people there and also because the whole COVID thing happened um, and they're they're short staffed and they're not open as much. So there was an example of like a $300 meal for a party of four. Mm -hmm. It was like lunch. Yeah. No drinks, no alcohol. A couple Caesar salads. Yeah, just like a couple Caesar salads. It was like 300 bucks. Yeah. And the one percenter was bitching about that. Which, by the way, interviewed quote said, I'm a one percenter. If you call yourself a one percenter, I'm out. Mm-hmm. I have no interest in knowing you. Mm-hmm. But I bear no resemblance to these people. Have you guys ever been to the Hamptons? No. Yeah, I've, I've been a bunch of times. I Actually, that, the, I, the place the place that was in this article it's where we where I hung out. I didn't have a house there. I was visiting, like your one percent or twenty <laughs> no twenty some year old, uh, you know, kids that rented I'll a house together, and time. I'd go there and visit. I, I, just, uh, it was where Pam hung out. So okay, yeah, but that was a long time ago, and those, these nauseating people weren't there. You know. With with hundred and fifty million dollar properties and stuff like that. Yeah, I don't even know how much there is to say about it. Well, I mean, super rich people being upset with richer people. Like, <clears throat> how yeah. much is there to really say? Well, other than unless you want to get into just like, you know, the income disparity in this country and <laughs> no, but Meg, you always talk about keeping things relative, right? Like I, I'll complain about 
my day and I'm like, but I can't really complain. I mean, there's starving people in the world. You're like, yeah, but your your issues are your issues. So aren't their issues their issues? No. Really? No. Why not? Because they're ultra wealthy? No, because like what issue are we talking about? Richer people moving into your neighborhood. <laughs> no, I don't I don't think you're it just sounds 300- like you're very contradicting. Pot meat kettle, Jeffrey. No, I think that the the three hundred dollar bill for four people to have lunch, like, I don't know. I guess I just don't think it's worth complaining about at all. So it's not even. It shouldn't be an issue, because you have three hundred bucks. Pay the bill. So you don't think because the one percenters are now being outranked by the ultra wealthy, like there's no way they can run the ultra wealthy out, right? They're just stuck with them. No, they're butt hurt. Their egos are, are bruised because they're no longer like the Head kings of the island. They're they're not even they're they're pikers now. Yeah, relatively. I mean, one one question I have for you guys in here. It says this this woman says um, it's so expensive. There's there's no more livability. It's all about tablescaping and costuming. What does that mean? What's tablescaping? Uh, I had to look up sea glass. <laughs> it was like the first. How about the first? The introduction to the article where, like, the woman's walking on the beach and I looked down as I was looking for sea glass. I was like, ooh, what's sea glass? <laughs> Do you know what sea glass is? No. It's bottles, like, literal glass that gets, like, our trash that's in the ocean. And over time, the rocks break them down. And when you're on the beach and you find those, like, little green, like, smooth stones, that's sea glass. It's glass. It's the bottles that's been broken down over time, over, like, a decade of time. So she's looking for trash. She was looking for sea glass, yeah. But um, yeah, she, she found like a, a, crisp, a crisp fifty dollar bill. <laughs> yeah. Crisp. I, I don't really crisp. understand the purpose of this article. Like, what was this woman writing this article for? I mean, it's I in hope- Vanity Fair. That's what they do. They write these kind of articles all the time, just to let us know that ultra wealthy people were now pissing off wealthy people. Yeah, like if it was in any other publication, I would like to think that the author was taking it like from our perspective, like. Holy shit, look at these people. But I just don't know that Vanity Fair is that publication. Yeah, I didn't see her poking fun at any of no, these people no. and I thought she should have. Not like a and like and like a last sentence that said like, wow. What a bunch of douchebags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Top five. Let's do it. How are we doing this? Because I feel really confident about mine, but <laughs> top five, can I just say fictional deaths? Uh, yeah, that's it. So I guess movies, movies or TV shows. shows or so when we said we said best deaths in movies or TVs, that well, we weren't talking about like the way they died, right? Or were we? I think it's a catch-all. I think you can oh. interpret it that way. Okay. Or it could be shocking. Could be whatever you want to. However you want to do it. Okay. I don't want to steal any from you, dude. I can cut. go ahead if you want to you start. Want me to you, go you, first since you. Yeah, so right, you go go I want to see where where this all shakes out. All right, so um, in no particular order, I don't think Mufasa. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. Mufasa, Simba's dad in The Lion King. Don't think I saw The Lion King. It's on Broadway. Yeah, I didn't see it on Broadway for sure. Really? Right. Yeah. Wow, great one, Meg. Um, Jack Dawson. From Titanic? Yeah. Yeah, that was. 
Okay. Entered my brain. To, had no to had each no, her own on that one. <laughs> no space on my list. <laughs> um, Rufio from Hook. God, guys, is that really? Peter Pan? Definitely not on my list. No, no. Well, Hook is the show. It's Robin or the movie. Robin Williams is Peter Pan. Rufio is one of the Lost Boys, oh, and mm-hmm. he died. And oh, you just feel so like it. that. And Jack Dawson and Mufasa happened at times in my life when they were probably more impactful. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, Wallace from The Wire, Michael B. Jordan's character. Okay. I've never seen The Wire. Okay. We've had this conversation. And then G Baby from um, Hardball. Never saw. I don't it. think I've ever. I know I think that was your worst it. top five of all time. Okay, so <laughs> let me describe Hardball. Keanu Reeves is like an alcoholic who decides to coach or gets roped into coaching this like inner city baseball team. G Baby is the youngest member of the team. He's like the best player's younger brother who just like follows everybody around and he's the cutest little guy. He gets killed in a drive by shooting. Oh my God. At the end of the movie. That's a tough one. Guys, I, I can't believe. I feel for G Baby. <laughs> All right, well, I guess next. Were there any of those on your list, Mike? You cross anything off? <laughs> None of them were on my list. I'm just trying to figure out my. Uh, my you want to go or you want me to go? I'll go. I'll go. Okay. I got um, I got Ricky from Boys in the Hood. I knew there'd be overlap for him and I. Yeah, I mean, you know Ricky from Boys in the Hood, right? I've never seen Boys in the Hood. Oh, my uh, God. I, I have a wire one in here, but it's Stringer Bell when he gets mm-hmm. gunned down. Um, I've got William Wallace from Braveheart. Oh, good one. What a death. You got debowed. I mean, it's Mel Gibson. I know. I've seen Braveheart. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, I've got the uh, Gwyneth Paltrow head in seven. Tracy Mills. Oh, yeah. that's a good one. Yeah. That's a really good one. And then my, this is just my this is all-time favorite scene. It's uh, it's the Dennis Hopper, uh, Christopher Walken, True Romance. Oh, good one. Which is like, I could watch that scene 10 times a day. I don't think I've seen True Romance. Yeah, it, I highly recommend. So there's five. I got others, but we can talk about those later. Wow, I, I can't believe some of these didn't make your list. <laughs> How much overlap? Uh, just the one. one. Just from Boys in the Hood. Yeah, I can. Yeah. So I have. Oh, I'm gonna go with um, Apollo. Yeah, it was on my backup. Apollo Creed from Rocky. From, from Rocky. I'm gonna go with uh, Ricky was on my list, so I'll give you Ricky for my second. Uh, my third will be. Um, old Yeller. Yeah, I, I thought I, about I like thought Marley about and me doing dog, but Old Yeller was. I mean, it was a heartbreaker, man. I mean, I remember as a kid watching it and just falling apart. Um, fourth will be. I, I'm torn with this one. It could be either, but I'm gonna go with the the Wicked Witch of the West classic. Hmm. Hmm. When she melts to death. I mean, it's Wizard of Oz. But it could be the Witch, Wicked Witch of the East, too, because the house falls on her. And her feet are dangling out of the house. But yeah, I'm, which, like, prompts the whole movie. I think right. you got to go East. You think i got to go East versus yeah, West? Yeah. Because okay. without East dying, there's no slippers. Good point. 
And then number one is Goose from Top Gun. Really? Oh, my God. Hands down. Hmm. (laughs) Goose, man. I can't believe there was no Game of Thrones. Yeah, I thought about it, but it just wasn't as moving. Yeah, like really, really fake movies that aren't steeped in any reality. They don't really count. It's got to be a movie that like. Well, then again, you got Wizard of Oz, so that doesn't really... Yeah, I did <laughs> And you did a cartoon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, dude, Wizard of Oz, it's like the most classic movie of all time. Two unbelievable deaths in it. I can't believe it wasn't on any one of your lists. You took Apollo over uh, Mick? I, so that's interesting <laughs> that you say that, because <laughs> Mick was on my list. Mm-hmm. And then I was talking to Melissa, and she goes, well, what about Apollo? I'm like, ooh, Apollo's a really yeah. good one. But did the Russian kill both of them? Um, or was it was it um, Clubber Lang that pushed Mick? Jeez, oh, I'm, I'm literally was it Mister T that pushed Mick, or was it the Russian that pushed Mick? Because Mick was on my original yeah, list. It was yeah, him. yeah, it was Mickey. Forgetting that detail. Yeah. Well, anyway, thanks for listening. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time. See ya.